This podcast is sponsored by Jabra Enhance. Getting hearing aids is no picnic. It's expensive, confusing, time-consuming, right? Actually, no. With the Jabra Enhance Select and Premium Package, you can get state-of-the-art hearing aids and professional care without the hassle. Jabra Enhance offers advanced rechargeable hearing aids delivered to your door for thousands less than you'd expect. No offices, no waiting rooms. Just take the online hearing test to personalize your hearing aids. Enjoy speech clarity, noise reduction, and hearing technology that adapts to your unique sound environments. And the audiology team can provide adjustments to your hearing aids remotely on request for three years. And the best part? You'll likely pay thousands less than if you went to a traditional audiologist. And now for a limited time, save $200 when you order Jabra Enhanced Select Hearing Aids with promo code PODCAST. Go to jabraenhanced.com and enter promo code PODCAST to save. jabraenhanced.com code PODCAST. For eligible individuals 18 and older in 50 United States and Washington, D.C. with mild to moderate hearing loss only, audiology team may not be able to program hearing aids for some types of hearing loss. See website for details and important safety information. Hey, listeners. So this is, again, a very special episode. It's a two-part episode. In the first part, I'll interview Janine Leger. Even though she's denied herself, she's the core driving force behind Zuzalu. For those of you who don't know Zuzalu yet, it's been a two-month pop-up city experiment that took place in Montenegro. And it's now a nomadic meta community and digital tribe that will continue to go to other places. So we'll reflect again on Zuzalu and what we learned from it, but we're not only talking about the past in this two-part series, we'll talk about the future. So I'll tell you about a new iteration of Zuzalu, a new pop-up city called Vitalia that I personally and Lawrence Ion from VitaDAO have spawned up and are now have put together a team and are preparing to take place for the first time in January and February. So there will be details and insights in the second part of this episode of this two-part series that aren't yet articulated or widely publicly available. And that's on purpose, right? We want to build a resident community of 150 plus people through word of mouth and careful selection from trusted circles. As listeners of this podcast, you are in my trusted circle. So stay tuned. Now to the first part. Welcome to the Stranded Technologies Podcast. I'm your host and founder of Infinita Fund, Nicholas Anzinger. In this show, we talk about how to accelerate the future. Our thesis is that many life-improving technologies are held back by institutional barriers. How can we unblock vast opportunities while mitigating against the risks? What ethical principles, rules and regulations can guide us on that path? We will discuss these questions with entrepreneurs, policymakers and industry experts. If you enjoy the show, please give us five stars and visit us at infinitafund.com to join the community. Today is September the 14th in 2023, and my guest is Janine Leger. Janine is a grants program lead with Gitcoin and a pop-up city builder with Zuzalu. Janine and I met at Zuzalu, where I was a resident, and she was quickly establishing herself as a key leader in that ecosystem and influencer, so I learned a lot from her. And I want to carry over some of these learnings into some of the things that I do in my work. Jenny has a background in community management. So we want to use that time to talk about key advice for aspiring community managers, builders of decentralized movements, as well as learnings from Zuzalu and the burning question, what's next for Zuzalu? So Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicholas. It's really great to be here. I'm super excited for this one. 
Great. Anything to add to your background? And I'm curious, how did you get involved with Web3 and with Suzalu? So uh, one thing to update is I'm more on the sort of stewardship side of Gitcoin now and spending more time full time with Suzalu and the community I have in Austin. But in terms of how I got into Web3, so in 2018, I was super interested. Well, 2017, I was super interested in crypto. And in 2018, went to Denver and just like volunteered there because I was like, I need to be able to give something to the space in order to show up to a conference. I was not technical. Um, I did a lot of strategy and operations at the time. And during that period, I was starting a crowdsourcing platform where we sort of like had a roll up of different crowdsourcing tools to help large enterprises with accessing insights from crowds and different people. Fast forward was also working on like future board stuff around how large corporations could use freelancers in a more effective way than just everyone that worked for their own organization. Because my general sense is like, let people work where they want, how they want. So DAOs became this fascinating area and just how Web3 and how the Ethereum ecosystem specifically was building community was also something that I found super interesting. Fast forward to 2021 and I was doing a lot more in community building I had at the time run like seven different co-living experiments in mountain towns across the U.S. that were super fun but like smaller groups of say 30 people and something that I was starting to do was we just moved to Austin full-time I was looking at like what will it take for us to build a community here that's more of this like cul-de-sac community that we can have just like hundreds of people living close by within this larger city that become like an intentional community that really care about one another. And like, life's just more fun that way. Um, and when building that, I was just like recognizing, you know, how much I loved the experience and something that just resonated was like finances in community and like that the people that are putting in all the energy to build communities are just, it's just, it's a challenge. It's like really hard to figure out, like, pay people. Do you take money? Do you ask for membership? And I looked at a lot of fiat models of communities. I'm like, you know, you got a lot of country clips and you've got the summits of the world and you've got the so houses of the world. And they're all great cases, but that membership model sort of creates a totally different type of experience and like limits the success and progress of like the community really giving to it versus having a owner customer experience instead of like a full community experience and like separating who is the owner and who is the community. And looking into different financial models and different mechanisms or, you know, just like mechanism design. And Ethereum just like kept coming up was like, okay, this is just like an interesting space that could, and that is attracting communities to give back to one another in a way that's happening very organically. So that was my jump. I was just like, there's stuff going on here. I should find a team that's doing stuff. And Gitcoin, I thought had a really interesting model around like actually helping communities fund their shared needs and getting participation from the entire community with quadratic funding and the like. So jumped in and got involved there pretty deeply, very quickly. I wanted to be part-time in the DAO. I was like, cool, DAO, I can work many different places, but became really passionate about the problem that we were solving there. 
which led to me doing a couple of in-person events around just like how a community event, like instead of doing it for any specific need of like networking or outcome, it was like just a community event. And that led to Zuzalu and where we are with me getting involved in that um, and being a part of it. Fantastic. I plan to ask the question later, but I'm so curious now. I don't want to um, miss asking that question. But you already mentioned that you looked into different models, right? So how much is it like a product that people pay for and sort of by charging for it, you're setting an expectation versus you're trying to create a community that feels they have the responsibility to do things for each other and sort of create public goods and things like that. So think of like a burning man or whatever. So what are the different ways and incentives mechanisms that you've seen working and not working to create some more decentralized communities versus ones for whom it's more like a product experience, like a Disneyland? Great question. Um, and I think it is one of the most interesting problems with very few solutions. Um, I think you've got a number of different areas that people have tried to solve for it. So like a lot of communities where they're like, well, we'll build communities around specific projects and specific companies and the companies then fund that community and that experience through like sponsorship. That one feels like you're then sort of indebted to that project or that company. So I don't think it's a perfect solve, but it's definitely a solve for a lot of events these days. So like most conferences are structured that way and that's how they make money. Um, most like slash events as I call them, which is anything that's like a short-term event that brings many people together and coordinates a lot of people for one shared like experience versus like a sustainable community. So that's one area. HOAs are kind of an interesting one um, that I think like have a lot to be desired, but there's, there's a model there, which is like, if you are in an area, if you're part of a specific community based on real estate, like you have to buy into it and participate. I think there's a ton of innovation that can be done in the HOA space. If anyone that's listening to this is interested in that area, please do contact me. I've got a lot of interesting thoughts. But again, it hasn't pushed the community model just yet. It's more being focused on how does everyone have the same white picket fence. So lots to be done there. I think there's a lot of other models that are developing and have developed with real estate, where it's sort of like a real estate community, you buy into the real estate, those who are owning it, you know, make money through selling real estate and like, boom, you've got your community, that space there. But then there's, unfortunately, something I've seen is like, there's not a lot of like follow on like, okay, now we should hire a community manager. Now we should bring in different experiences. Now we should get the community involved in these different ways to give back. So that seems to me like something that is missing on the second end of those that are like building these you know, complexes of houses where they're selling space and then are like, oh, people can self-organize. People don't do a great job of self-organizing in large groups. And then I think like in Ethereum, you can take a look at a number of different projects where in a way, what they've sort of created financial incentive around is creating protocols that are open source and then getting other developers to come build on those protocols where the project itself benefits by having the underlying protocol and the devs that are building on top of it then benefit from being part of that community and building something that others can access and they can sort of like create some financial incentive there. So 
to me, that's like an, an interesting comparison um, to look into. And then lastly, there's a typic, typical membership model that I think leaves a lot to be desired where it's like pay up front, join this thing for a year, join the social club, like you now have access. And unfortunately, I think it creates a very like status seeking space that does create that sort of like divide between like who's in and who's out and they're like who owns it and who's just paying to be a part of it. So I'd love to see how that can become, you know, something that's like more of a flat structure. It's interesting that platform or enablement layer that you were talking about, and you said you learned that from the Ethereum ecosystem, right? So it felt to me that this was something that I learned during Zuzalu, right? So this kind of culture that was very, very clear there. I think it's a beautiful model that is really hard um, to sort of constantly iterate on, but it's so early, like this like super decentralization approach. Like it, it takes a lot of trust. Like you're just giving someone space to experiment and create something, but there is like magic and empowerment. And the more that people can like create that type of space in a community where there is shared incentives. Like I still think IRL events and experiences and communities like need to figure out the model of how if you empower someone to own something, they can be rewarded or benefit from that is super important. Like I just don't think you can expect people to do free work and free labor forever. But it's so beautiful when there are so many different people involved. Like you have an experience that just feels so much more empowered as an entire unit because all the individuals in it are empowered. Great. And that is such an interesting model too. I mean, it's probably tempting to build some of the things yourself. You want to create it in this one in a certain way and requires trust also from your side, right? So you're holding back, you're empowering the builders to sort of realize their ideas or innovation. So I find that quite inspiring. One thing that I've been wondering about was sort of there's this tension between being founder-led or led by certain like leads and decentralization, right? So and it, to me, it seems a bit like a false dichotomy, right? Because it seems to me that people kind of gravitate towards hierarchy because it's simple, right? So if you don't deliberately engineer decentralization through sort of certain leads that actively push the organization in that direction, then it seems to me that people gravitate towards strict hierarchies. That's an observation that you made or that you agree with? I think it's a constant issue, right? Like ego is the enemy in so many ways. Um, and we're all human where like ego is involved in everything. And I think this is where you look at DAOs, like DAOs initially started and there was this big boom of like so many people creating different DAOs and we'll just empower everyone and, and everyone can make their own decisions and then it doesn't need to be any leaders. And unfortunately, most DAOs have just sort of like blown up in chaos. Like humans in a crowd can either be like directed for good and like as a collective create so much more energy and experiences and like get so much more done if there's some sort of direction that they're all following or they can just like be mad like humans humans in a crowd that are chaos that's not a crowd you necessarily want to be a part of and unfortunately i think a lot of doubts like that direction and something i even saw in working at like Bitcoin was 
a transition of like, we decentralized really quickly as a DAO. And that didn't actually work out really well. It just like, there was too much chaos. There was too many things going on in different directions. Like everyone was on different paths, even though there was some semblance of like, what are our values? What are, what's our mission and where are we going? Like different people interpreted that in different ways. So really figuring out, then kind of coming together and being like, okay, maybe we do need to centralize some specific elements that then can decentralize other elements is a piece that like has started to work better at Gitcoin over the past couple of years. And I see, see it similar with Zuzu. I think like up front, there was like a really good structure that was created. It was like, okay, this is how we're going to structure it. We don't have any mission. We just want to experiment, but like here is a set structure and some confines that people can work in. And I think being, being able to create that where there's like safety and a structure that like is somewhat defined that gives people freedom to create within those boxes allows for more magic to be created. So it depends on like where it is that hierarchy, right? Like, is it because a select group has created those containers, there is now hierarchy or ideally the the better situation and hopefully what we try to achieve in some capacity and still think can improve on many, many times over is like creating those containers and being able to sort of like disappear into the background. Um, But there is real value in creating the containers, defining a mission as a group, I think defining some values, but not being too prescriptive. Um, Something that's super interesting is Burning Man only created their like 10 principles like 35 years after they started. Like it was, it was a crazy amount of time after the burn started. And the only reason they created them was because so many people were like, it had become so successful that there were so many side events that were happening in different places that were taking the Burning Man name and, you know, having Budweiser sponsored the event and having no one dress up. And they were like, okay, wait, we need to set some like principles and becoming ex- exclusive in some way. They were like, we need to set some principles of like, who we are so others can take this and drive it. So I think that there's to decentralize successfully. There are some containers of information and space, like true space that you need to give and empower others to like play within for it to move forward versus just be like complete chaos because everyone's staring at a desert in front of them and has no concept in like which shape or form they can move things in. Fantastic. We're jumping right into the philosophical issues and we haven't yet taken our listeners with us who don't know yet about Zuzalu, although there have been previous episodes where, where, where we talked about it. So can you tell us, Janine, what is Zuzalu? And maybe you can tell us about the journey, sort of how it started and what the idea was and what it has become since. Awesome. So I'm actually going to start with like where we've got to as a mission, work backwards a bit and then come back to it. So we've sort of summed it up as Zuzulu is on a mission to foster a global network of communities to advance humanity by creating playgrounds at the intersection of free and open technology, health and social innovation. That's a mouthful, but I got it right, I think. Um, Essentially, what we have sort of decided is like, it is something that's going to be very decentralized. It is going to be more of a public good. I am so excited for what you're going to be creating 
Nicholas in January through March. I don't know if it's out publicly, so I won't say much more than that. It is like out publicly, more... so you could talk about awesome. it. Awesome. <laughs> see, seeing that happen, seeing others have got my doing a similar event in Thailand right now, it's just great to see more people have access to a true sense of community. Like, I think that step is really important. That are just creating spaces to bring many different projects together and push forward progress in areas that, you know, we, we really need to make a positive impact in the world and sooner rather than later. So that's something that like, we're excited that Suzulu has created, but run backwards. Suzulu was really just an experiment. It was something where Vitalik Buterin, um, he's the founder of Ethereum, brilliant guy. He was like, I have heard a lot about network states. And I want to see this progressing. Like, I really want to see everything that's being talked about actually being experimented with. So one thing is he looked at this chart that Balaji Srinivasan put together, who he wrote the book Network 6, and where we as humans have a lot of experiences with conferences, concerts, and meetups. And I call those like flash events. Um, and that, you know, for many different people and like, we've gotten good as humans saying like, you know, it's pretty good to pull together, uh, a, a thousand to 2000 people in these like concentrated time periods. And then we can step away and go back to sort of more of our solo lives. And on the other side, you've got sort of universities and cities, which are more of the institutions that have been around forever, but few people have experimented with that, you know, two months to five year time range that is around sort of the 100 to 500 person. So literally Vitalik saw that and was like, I've been thinking about crypto cities for a long time. What could this actually look like? I'm really interested in being around interesting people. Other interesting people are interested in being around interesting people. And like, what could university at 10% intensity look like? So that's where kind of the experiment came from for Zuzli. And as it kind of developed and came together, a lot of things that came out of it. One, putting many different people in a few different topic areas together created like these synergies and interesting conversations at the intersection of like areas that people kind of get so fascinated by that they just go heads down and forget that everything else exists. And um, so getting people on longevity, connecting with people on Ethereum, connecting with people that had been working on network states and charter cities was just like super interesting and like pushed forward a lot as individuals thinking. And these are some of like the N of one people in the world that are just thinking totally out the box on one specific topic that are now getting and being enriched with so many other ideas that ideally are helping them push forward even more progress in those specific areas. And that's something we definitely saw. The other aspect that we kind of saw really come out of this was just the, the value of a, a big problem that I was interested in and have been interested for a long time solving is mm. this loneliness epidemic. Like people just are stuck and I think a lot of it has to do with the institutions and infrastructure that we have created and have do not make it easy to live in community. Like we've strayed from living as tribes day to day to Fast forward to agriculture, we sort of sacrificed 
being close to other families, to have more land, to grow more food, to fast forward to the industrial revolution. Families were even split up because the husband and wife had to leave to go to the workplace. And like, that's just how it was. Um, and then fast forward to now we've got the sense of amazing freedom was remote work, but a lot of us like chained to our computers and spending all day sitting behind our computers. And like, it takes until, you know, really late in the day or it's like at 10 PM, you pick up your head and you're like, oh crap, I have not spoken to anyone in person this entire day. So we, we're just dealing with a lot of people having pretty severe health issues as a result of like not spending time with others. So seeing individuals at Suzuki and hearing how much like they were positively inspired by the experience to make a better and more positive impact in the world and like improve their own health and ways that they were communing with others because like of the value that they got out of that experience, I think was just like a huge value and like important takeaway um, of the experience itself that made us kind of re recognize that like, we kind of need to do more of these, not because we want to run more experiments, but because the entire community that was there wanted to see more experiments. Like a hundred percent of people said that they wanted to see something like this happen again. So I was doing something like this, other people like yourself doing things like this, I think pushes forward the experiments where we haven't fully defined exactly what it is yet. Like, you know, biology has said Zuzanu might not be a network state, but it's more, it feels more like a network school. Whereas like what you guys do in Honduras might actually feel more like a network state than a network school because of the location that it's in, where there's already been so much progress with Prospera in building like truly what is a like longevity network state. So that's yeah. all I have to say of where we were to where we are now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for context on, on that side, we're going to definitely talk more about Zuzalu. But the idea is, so um, I like the many of the ideas of biology and network states, although I don't like the term network state necessarily, like we don't want to necessarily build a new country or something like that. Um, it's more like a startup society, right? And the way I think about it is there's vertical and horizontal startup societies. So you're a vertical startup society if you're like a Prospera or a Tipolis where you actually build like the city or the location, right? You have multiple locations, that's fine. So you're not defined by one location. So it would fit the Balagian network state definition. But then the interesting thing is to do a horizontal sort of startup society. That's what we want to do with Vitalia, right? So we don't want to build our own city, right? We're don't have the competency for that. We want to take again sort of the Balagian one commandment moral innovation, in that case, longevity acceleration. Sort of life is good, death is bad. So let's get to a place where we live much longer and healthier, faster. And we just then piggyback off of other providers of the jurisdictions, right? So we take what we can get from Prospera. Maybe we get like a location in Montenegro. Maybe we do a community house in Austin. And then have this nomadic tribe with some permanent settlements. So that's kind of the idea behind Vitalia. And that was definitely the result or spawned by Zuzanu, right? So that really was a social innovation. Hey, it's really exciting for people, especially if they're like very aligned, working on these frontier technologies. 
to come together in the same place and they got a lot of value out of this, right? So what you otherwise get only in the city with millions of people, you have enough people to talk to that are really interesting. You can kind of recreate that experience by finding these people through online. So this very highly aligned online community and then bring them together in the same space. So that was definitely a huge social innovation that Zuzalu created. One thing to sort of jump in there with is that I didn't mention was just the number of people. We were pretty intentional about bringing together just above Dunbar's number of people. Like, I think it's a really interesting size to play with where it's more people, like we had 200 people, Dunbar's number is 150. It was more people than you can actually have as friends, but not that much more that you felt that you were interacting with strangers on a daily basis. And I think the sense of comfort that was then developed and every week we had a new group of visitors come in where we had about a hundred visitors on average a week. Some weeks were less, some weeks were, were more. And when it, when it was way more, it, it just like, it was too much. Sort of the, the visitors almost like were a tsunami to the residents and the residents kind of like hid. But when it was sort of the... 70%, 30%, so 70% residents, 30% new people that were visitors, like that worked out really well. And it was just a sense of like almost family, like sense of tribe that people had with the sense of strangers coming in that were welcome strangers um, versus like too many strangers that were like overwhelming strangers. So playing with that number where it's like, you have a village of individuals and you bring in new people was definitely one that was hugely successful. For any community organizer or someone who wants to put together something similar to Zuzulu, what are the most important things to get right from the beginning? Like your flow, the flow that you're going to use from invites to ticketing to participation to like choose interested in what the name so you can ping those different people. So it really is like how you are tracking your people from an infrastructure standpoint from start to finish. That's really important because like if you don't have the right tools in place or the right people in one area to start with, you're like, I don't know who we invited, who didn't invite, who's buying tickets, who's not buying tickets. Who should we contact halfway through to come in and speak at something? So like actually just documenting that well from a people standpoint, at the end of the day, like all of this is like people is the most important part is what I would say is truly the easiest thing to get right. Um, and the most time consuming thing if you don't get right up front. Great. What's the people stack or like how an ideal team would look like? I don't know if we had the ideal set up. Um, so I think that's something that's still being created. We, what we did have was you know, we had eight people that were pretty focused on this. However, only truly four of those individuals were like full time working on it. I think it's super important to have people in different categories. So I see like four different pillars that are important when it comes to events. Um, like you need someone that wants to be the funder of it all, like someone who's sort of just like 
this is what I want. Um, and like the, the fun, the visionary side of it, someone that wants to like take on all logistics and just like really enjoys doing logistics, someone that is extremely good from a networking standpoint and has a good sense of the people, how they're all connected, where they're all related and like what they're doing, um, and what they're working on. And then someone who's like an experienced designer and really cares deeply about like what is the the art of the experience? What are the different subtopics that you're going to be bringing in? How are you bringing in different types of conference models, unconference models, workshop models? Like, what does all of that look like? Um, and then being able to work very closely with that logistic in person to like bring that all to fruition. And I think if you've actually got people across those different skill sets, you can keep the, the team small. If you don't, you end up needing to expand a lot. I think from our standpoint, where there were a lot of bottlenecks that took up a lot of dedicated people's time was just like the constant support. Like I, I don't think anyone in these roles sort of like recognizes enough how much people want a, a person that they can connect with and ask questions and check in on things. So truly staffing up with like two to three people that are just there for support for everyone that's there might actually be a huge win. And then on top of it, having someone that is taking care of more of the like housing side of it. So any of the issues that come up there and that person having like a hospitality background is really helpful. Um, and then it's just dependent on like, do you want to take on all the programming yourself? So that experience designer could be one person that taps into many or could be many different people that are in the core team. So if the experience designer says, we want to create all the events, we want to take ownership of all of that, then you're going to have to need many more people in that core team that they, that experience designer is managing. If you're trying to get the community more involved, which I like absolutely encourage, because I think you be, you just like have a much richer experience if people are asked to help. And a strength in a community is based on people helping, in my personal opinion, as like one core metric um, to account for like community strength. So that experience designer being very good at connecting with all those that are involved in the network to say like, hey, come in and like build an experience around a specific topic, I think is like super, super valuable. We did end up bringing on a, um, like a true event organizer in the region halfway through. And that was hugely helpful. My general sense was, and I kind of thought this up front, but like having someone up front would have been a lot better. His name was Demir. Um, he helped him a lot with the different projects that we had. So finding someone that is that event producer that's a local, that has all the contacts of, you know, people that are there and like different ideas that they've already brought to bear versus like bringing someone in for that, I think would be a huge game changer. And I think it's super important to like set that as the tone that like nothing can happen without the community and that, you know, those in the community that bring something out, like are valued, are celebrated. Like I think there's, there's just so much value in celebrating those that are organizing and self-organizing and those will be some of the best events that happen. Good. I was just about to ask what you would do the same way 
for the next Zulu and what you would do differently? We had two months, church of people, 800 visitors over the time that we were there. We frames it across many different events and each week was sort of a topic week that brought in experts to sort of speak on that topic or run workshops on those specific topics. And at any given time, people were allowed to self-organize their own events, which was a hugely important aspect of Zuzulu. And things that I would do the same, and like we as a team would likely do the same, as well as the whole community, I think would like to see. Um, from what we've heard and from what we've thought through and a lot of discussions around this, one is the length of time. Feels great to that two-month beat spot, felt great. The number of people, so 200 people felt great in terms of like it really feeling like a safe cultural environment to like create and like really push the boundaries of, again, this is a lot of people from different frontier industries, um, pushing the boundaries of like those industries in like a positive way was, was super valuable. And I think the more people you get, the more it dilutes that potential. So a huge thing to that we've been thinking through is like how do you maintain both high quality but also have inclusivity because people feeling welcome and inclusive is a really important element that you know creating a positive community that is loved by all versus one that where people feel like am i in am i out is is an important environment to create so how we're thinking about that is actually this zuzapelago model where instead of having just one Zuzulu space, there are a few different villages of the 200 person approach. And again, this also empowers many other people to experiment in the space. So maybe Janine runs one area or one village, and that's just one aspect of this broader Zuzapelago. Like Nicholas, you, you have Vitalia there as a as a village um that's being built and we have a couple of different villages that all have a little bit of unique flair and maybe have specific different topic areas but ultimately help continue to expand Zuzulu while keeping some of that magic of high quality high concentration of people in general topic areas another aspect is we'd love to see the same topic areas that we had as well as sort of growing that out a bit when it comes to different areas in like biotech. I think there's just like a ton of interesting stuff that's happening in that space. And, you know, look at the likes of like neuroscience. There might be some really interesting stuff around BCIs, so brain computer interfaces that we could start experimenting with that kind of go against this topic that we had around AI alignment. And, you know, how do we actually like at what's happening with AGI, what's happening with humans and where we align. And neuroscience as a field um, is actually struggling with getting a ton of funding because so much funding went towards Alzheimer's um, and solving one specific issue there that there's been a lot of sort of like people get off to funding more in neuroscience. And like we'd love to see like how can we bolster um, some support in those areas as well as a few new and different frontier spaces a lot more in arts and culture. Um, so expanding expanding the topics by expanding the, the archipelagos in the zoo I think another really, really important piece that we want to carry with us is just the like 
continue to deepen the values around authentic kindness, personal growth, and mutual respect as being three key values that we want to carry throughout any Zuzanu event. Kindness goes such a long way um, and can really define a culture. And if from the get-go of every Zuzanu-like experience, people feel like others are being super kind, they're focused on growth and really improving as a whole, and there's a sense of mutual respect, especially when you have such diversity of individuals from different parts of the world, diversity in topics and interests, diversity across the board in many different areas. Mutual respect is such an important piece for us to carry forward. So I think those values, uh, three values that we want to make sure we're carrying forward and it's like a deep sense of the culture. Lastly, I'll say um, the main piece that like I'll, I'll leave with is having infrastructure that allows the community to feel empowered and plan and create what is there. What I don't want to see is like the first round, we had a month to plan. So we had to pull the community in to create with us because it just, we didn't have the time to create it all ourselves. Now we do have the timeline to create it all ourselves. And a lot of people are looking just being like, what's the plan? How's it going to be structured? What's happening? What are the different events you're going to host? And it's really important to our team to make sure what we carry forward is like the community building the experience. Like I sort of, you know, put that question at everyone that asked me, it's like, well, what do you want to contribute? What do you want to inspire others in the community to contribute? How are you going to do that? And creating the infrastructure that allows for that level of empowerment. So that comes from the website um, and the sort of like software tools that we build all being ones where people can self-schedule and self-organize. And the more we can create tools that help for like large-scale human, in-person human coordination, the better to allow everyone to create while they're there. And then kind of ahead of time, getting more people together. So for example, we're doing this event in Istanbul. Um, anyone that's listening, that's interested, uh, it's called Zoo Connect. Um, you can look it up. At Zuzanu.city, you'll be able to see a link there. But really getting people that are there to help think through what is next, how are we building for the next Zuzanu, and how are we as a collective building that versus putting it on a small planning team that just turns it into another event, um, which isn't as meaningful. Fantastic. So you already delivered the call to action for any listener that wants to get engaged with Zuzanu or contribute to come to Istanbul, to ZooConnect, to the next one. Is there anything else that you would like to draw listeners' attention to, how they can help, how they can contribute or work towards Zuzalu's mission? Yeah, totally. I think I want to you know, point out Nicholas is a shining example of someone who's carried out a lot of what our mission is with just the work that has been put into bringing people together for different events, continuing like taking people to Zanzibar and and creating a whole bunch of different topics there getting thought leaders in different spaces together to feel inspired and connect with another area that could be used for something using Honduras or what you guys are going to be building with Natalia like that's super exciting and um, so my big my big ask to people here is like 
if you're interested in something like this, go build, like go build a community and put time on your calendar to build connections with people around you and experiment in different topic areas. This, this isn't something where there is a, there is a commandment or there is a specific call to action and very clear levels of how are you going to get funding for this, where it's all going to come from, where are the people going to come from, but putting out that energy and giving it a go will like pay itself forward in, in so many different ways for you. So like take the energy to, to create those events and experiences. Um, and you can start with small small dinners at your own home and then go towards a like larger community event and a talk and keep expanding from there. Um, so a big call to action is like, just build. Like I, I am at this point, like sick of hearing so many people talk about how the dream is to live close to friends. Um, and then when I say like, well, why haven't you done it? You're like, well, it's really hard to do. It's like, yes, it's hard. But if it's the dream, dreams are hard. Like anyone's like, they, you know, what they want to see in life is hard, but you've only got one life to live. So think about doing that. We've, we've built that type of thing in Austin where we've got 150 friends within 10 minutes of one another. And it wasn't actually that hard. It just took a little bit of, you know, commitment to making it happen. So huge, huge, like push out there of like build around you. Um, and then lastly, please reach out, reach out on, um, Telegram at Janine Lejeur, it's just my name, um, as well as just follow on the Zuzumi.city website. There's not that much on there. So it means that you can't get lost. Uh, there'll be one to two events that are shared on there at any given time. So show up to our town halls, um, show up to like join our, our announcement t- Telegram, follow our newsletters. But we are an in-person community first and an online community second. So a lot of what we're trying to do is build in person, so joining for something like Zoo Connect, joining for something like the next Zuzulu, um, and truly like just seeing where you can participate in those types of things um, would be really, really helpful. Fantastic, Janine, it was absolutely awesome to have you on the show. It was a huge inspiration. What you've created, the leadership that you've provided in Zuzalu and the example you set for more such communities and pushing the boundaries even further. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Janine. Thank you, Nicholas. And thanks again for all you're doing. It's really inspiring. To those who visit Mickey D's for their favorite breakfast item, and then go somewhere else for coffee? Give this Mickey D's brew a second chance. The glow up was real. Try any size iced coffee brewed with 100% Arabica beans for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with a savory sausage McMuffin with egg for $2.79. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.